Hey, so you got to do me a favor, guys. You need to sign up for the Triple Whale Agency Partner Program. If you're not, and if you haven't done it already, you're totally missing out. It's about 20% referrals for anybody that comes in and joins that program. It's incredible. You got to sign up for it. What is up, everybody? We are back with another podcast. You already know who it is. Your boy, Nick Shockle. We're here with my co-host, Joshua Johnson, and the one, the only, the diamond in the rough, Chase Diamond. How are you, buddy? Doing great. Thanks, guys. How are you guys doing? Thriving. Josh? Doing great. I'm excited to be here. It's funny because I just saw both of you last week, but it feels like we never left, to be honest. Yeah, dude. It was awesome meeting your person. You did back-to-back events. I, you got, Josh, before we jump into Chase, you got to give me a little bit of a rundown. How did the Hydra go? How did your agency-specific event go? It was great, man. It, it was a lot back-to-back weeks going from your event to uh, to our event. Um, I actually had a 24-hour spell of me being miserably sick actually yesterday, but I'm good. I'm back in action. I'm actually feeling almost 100% now. Um, but it, I mean, honestly, like when you host events, you're like, you feel like everything is going to go wrong. I would say we were 98% perfect. Uh, every, yeah, there was like all the small things, um, that went wrong. Like they didn't even matter. Like no one even noticed. It was only like small things that I noticed. So, uh, it was excellent. 10 out of 10. That's huge, dude. Chase, Chase, what's your opinion on events? Do you like events or what? Do I, do I like to leave my house is the question. I, I really don't like to leave my house. Um, I, I like events. I totally see the value. I just like to do few and far between. Like I, yeah, it's just a lot for me right now. I feel that. Well, I, I kind of want to get into that story because we we all know you as someone that's creating constantly, and I unfortunately or fortunately follow you on every one of the channels. So I get you. Not only do I get you in, in person, I get you on LinkedIn, I get you on Twitter, I get you on Facebook, I even get you sometimes on Instagram. And if there's other platforms, I get you in the newsletter too. But I'm I'm so excited to hear you because. You're one of the few people that have been able to build true pipeline, true business around yourself, around your brand, and around the services that you you a provide for everybody else as well as for yourself. And I really want to hear that story, dude. So can you take me back to the beginning? Cool. Yeah, let's let's do it. So the, the long story, making it short, is at 13 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and I basically spent the entire year being sick, like misdiagnosis, misdiagnosis, just being really sick for like. Literally almost a year straight. And at 14, once I finally figured out that I had Crohn's disease, I took it upon myself to raise fundraising and awareness for this disease. So from 14 to 16 years old, I dedicated my life to this charity. And at 16 years old, I became the youngest board member of the largest chapter of this charity. And, you know, I, in hindsight, I really kind of analyzed that situation. I got mentored by like some of the best and the smartest people, like period. People that had sold, like one of the guys, him and his wife, they had sold a company for like a billion dollars. And they, they were my oh mentors my for like six years. Uh, BPs, CEOs, CMOs of banks and pharmaceutical companies were like my mentors. And I, I probably would not have A, been able to pay for it or B, get access to them otherwise because they saw me as like this young kid hustling and really focused on like making a positive impact through sharing my story and raising money. I got mentored. So that was a six year four term. In high school and college, I was always trying to start businesses, you know, working jobs. You know, in college, I helped my parents pay for tuition. I had like six to eight different side hustles, jobs, internships, you know, whatever you want to call it. And and Nick, you and I have been friends for, I don't know, close to probably 20 years at this point. We actually reconnected around college because we both were doing some 
growth hacking on Instagram through bots and mass planner and Instagram for anyone that knows oh, yeah. those tools that are probably RIP now. But that was my story is like really coming from this place of wanting to raise awareness and figuring out really grassroots guerrilla marketing efforts, uh, taking ads out on the paper, uh, you know, calling friends, sending AIM messages, doing restaurant fundraisers, like whatever I could, I was just figuring it out. And along the way, you know, one thing led to another. And then in college, I had these jobs, internships. After school, I was building large communities on the back of social media, doing some probably gray hat stuff, let's just say. Um, so that's kind of the quick version of the the background. Well, the funny thing is, is the the gray hat thing is the stuff that I was most interested in. And so when we reconnected, I was like, dude, what are you doing these days? Because this is, I remember I used to have a dedicated website, a dedicated computer that was running Follow Liker. Um, that was just basically automation bot. Like Instagram was great. It was an incredible service. I spent tons of money there. And I was like, found this other tool and I was growing like, wow, like this is this is how just growth hack can grow together. And you're like, yeah, that's that's cool and all. But also you should probably work for like a real business. And you were growing newsletters and already a part of one of the like largest moving one. And I remember I was like, you should just do e com. Like there's more yes. money in it, there's bigger opportunities in it. And I think we like reconnected over that and then the last time, then you just started building uh, kind of solo on your own. You had some partners in it, but it turned into something bigger than you anticipated. Yeah. And, and on that, that was funny. Like you, you and I, we didn't grow up with much money. We didn't have a bunch of money. You got me yeah. in e commerce. I literally, I don't know how you got it, but you got me someone's course. We're very thankful. If you got me a course, I don't know if we can say the name. Uh, neither of us had enough money to, to pay for it. So you got me a course, which literally started my career five or six years ago. So I started building an e commerce marketing agency. Um, and Nick and I were sending business back and forth to one another. They were sending us leads that they were working on paid social. We were sending them leads that we were working on email. And, you know, after about two or three years of working together kind of professionally, we merged our companies, you know, kind of got acquired from them in around March of 2020. So it's been three, three and a half years. And it's been, it's been awesome to see what we've built. I think collectively at the time, we are probably something like two dozen people, maybe all in. And now we're like 140 people. So the growth has been just crazy. It's so, so wild. I remember, so Chase went to Chapman University and I live, we both now live walking distance from each other, but we also live really close to Chapman. I remember we were doing the deal in one of the classrooms in Chapman. You remember this? Like we, we literally yeah. like, we were, we were, we graduated, we went back cause we were just getting coffee or something. And all of a sudden we're like, all right, let's, let's like map this out. It's me, you, David, uh, Jake was there and we're like, all right, what does this look like? And one thing led to another and, and now you built it, but. Josh, I tell you, bro, I remember when you like when you were building up on the agency at the beginning, we were doing this. Chase was doing it in his direction. I was doing it in my direction. And we both knew how to close and we both knew how to sell. And we weren't we weren't incredible at the ops. We let other people handle that. That was Jake. That was your David. And I was funny because you, Josh, weren't necessarily on the sales and the pitching side. You were more on like, cool, business is in. How do I execute it? It would take a very extreme circumstance for me to get on a sales call in the agency days. It's funny because I take all of them now. I what know. We do. Yeah, it's kind of wild. So I had to kind of like switch the hats over and like go from integrator to more of like a, a founder and CEO type type mentality. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it's it's two totally different worlds, right? You're focused on two totally different things. It's two totally different skill sets uh, that you have to uh, that you have to get good at. And so, uh, it's yeah, hard to be good at both. Like the fact that you're you were really good at the other, now we're looking at this and we're looking at both. That's really, really hard. Like one of my strong beliefs lately, and you're obviously thinking an anomaly to this, is like 
really doubling down on the things that you're good at and just completely ignoring, not not ignoring it, but like finding someone to do the things that you're bad at. So for, for me, like I don't even think about finance, accounting, ops, legal, et cetera. Like I, I can't remember the last time I thought about that. Just thinking about it right now gives me anxiety, right? But Nick and I are really focused on like revenue, lead, pipeline, recruiting talent, building partnerships. And that part is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've almost like forced myself into that integrator role. Like I was hired as the COO of our agency. I didn't even know what COO stood for when I got hired on. And so I was kind of like just pushing that role. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to learn about this, which I think really my talents really do more lean towards the sales side of the conversation, being able to build strong relationships with people. I was just kind of pushing that role. I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll learn this and I'll just study this. Uh, And I became pretty good at that. And then um, getting pretty good at the other side as well. It's kind of cool. I learned that COO stands for coup. So as soon as I knew coup, I, as soon as I learned, I was like, I'm not that. Like, I'm not a coup. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm going to do it CO. You know, I want to be a CO. And so I focused, I, that's basically where I focus all my time and effort. Now I'm a crow, chief revenue officer. That's it. And then so you just keep moving into the C's and you just, you just stack the C's. So speaking of stacking the C's, Chase and I had this interesting talk that we did. I, uh, I did this at agency founders in Atlanta two years ago, but it's around content. It's around distribution of content on paid media, on social, on organic, on building up something that's worth people following. Channel, consistency, and cadence. Those are the three things that I've learned the most, especially following with Chase, because early on we had a we had a bet like, hey, how do we grow? Who's the first one to get to 10,000 followers on Twitter? That was like the bet. I was like, oh bro, I got you all day. Like I know I can do this. When this man says like I'm going to go do something. That boy does that thing. And so when I saw him go off and it was close, it was like close, close, close. And then slowly, all oh, like, no way. And so I want, I want to dig into Jason on your approach to social because you take it very systematically to the point where you, there's very few people that can go talk back and forth on, Hey, I'm doing this thing on LinkedIn. I'm doing this thing on Twitter. Uh, here's the results. And you and I go pretty deep on this stuff when we, when we want to, but I really love it. What's your, what's your vibe right now? on using social for growth? Because a lot of people want to do this, but they don't necessarily know how or where to begin. Let me get this notepad ready real fast so I can uh, so I can seriously just take some notes on on this knowledge bomb that's about to drop. I'll give you a recording on this later. Yeah, that's your recording. Yeah, I think I think really simplify this. Bit. Like people, I think overcomplicate social. There's really three things that you need to do. One is, is good content, right? There's, there's no substitute for good content. That's number one. Two is you need a lot of good content, right? So we have quality, we've got quantity. A lot of people I think get one, maybe both those right, but what they're missing is distribution. I spend probably at this point now, half if not more than half of my time on distribution. So uh, lots of content, good content distribution. So what does distribution mean, right? You post something, you know, you can't just post it. You have to, A, once people respond, you have to be liking and commenting back. You have to make the dialogue. A lot of people get social wrong because they're, they're not social, right? And I've made this mistake plenty of times in the past. You post and you bail. It's like, I posted, cool, check yeah. it off my list, on to the next thing. Responded to emails, I responded to text messages, and you forget that you even posted. You come back later a few hours and you might have three comments, a dozen comments, 50 comments that are just sitting there waiting. And by you not engaging, you're sending a couple signals uh, to the algorithms and to the platforms. You're not really as active as they want you to be to the people that are actually engaging with you. You're not really there to engage. So over time, their likelihood of engaging with you diminishes because they might post something hoping that you're going to engage. You don't. 
They try again. They try again. Just like they're over it. They might as well go somewhere where someone is going to engage in return and answer their questions. And again, I, I'm trying to be good at this. I could always be better, but I at least try for the like 10, 15, 20 minutes after I post to be present and be there and to engage. And then the last thing, right, is like getting other people, uh, influencers, friends, coworkers, et cetera, to like comment, repost, retweet, whatever platform you're on, getting people to take certain actions uh, as soon as possible is really important. So like on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, most people think and most people say that like the first hour of a post determines, you know, how it's going to do over time. So you want to make sure that as soon as you post, you're getting things, you know, there. So it's as simple as commenting, you know, into a group saying, hey, post it here. We go engage texting it to a friend. So that's like the, really the best simple version. I know you guys get this, but do you think that makes sense for the listeners? I think it does. I, my biggest question on this and, and the thing that I think I struggle with the most is the quantity and quality balance of putting out really great quality stuff, but also having enough quantity to consistently put stuff on a daily. And that's something that I really noticed with you, Chase, uh, on your content, especially, especially anything written. You just have all of this content constantly hitting the platform. Could you take us through maybe a couple of the best practices that you have when it comes to, one, getting enough quantity out, but also making sure quality stays in check? Yeah, it's a great question. I've gotten really good at repurposing. So this interview that we're doing right now, right? Like this is going to end up being shorts. I just hired someone to help me build out shorts. This is going to be shorts for the video platforms. I'm not as great or as good at things like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram. I'm way better at things that are in newsletter, Twitter, and LinkedIn are kind of my, my three. Um, but I'll take this and I will basically have someone go chop it up and edit it, right? Now that's my YouTube and my Instagram content for a couple of days or for, for a week, right? On those platforms, I'm typically posting on Instagram. Now I'm doing once a day. Before I was doing once every couple of days, just hitting the story. Uh, now I'm doing once a day. On Twitter and LinkedIn, I do a minimum of two, upwards of sometimes four or five posts. But my goal is to do three posts on Twitter, three posts on LinkedIn. And those two now, the next point earlier who's messing with me, like I post the same thing most often, right? So I know everyone talks about content has to be contextualized to platforms and this, that, and the other. Like, dude, just posting and just doing it and being active and engaged and sharing good content, in my opinion, you you could win. I think a lot of people just say it has to be contextualized because that's like, quote unquote, a best practice. But like, in reality, I've grown my LinkedIn from 27,000 followers to 200,000 followers in nine months by repurposing my Twitter content. Like, that's literally what I'm doing. I'm taking Twitter threads and that are recent and also in the past, and I'm turning those into carousels on LinkedIn. Yeah. A carousel basically is just a PDF. It's like, a, it's a document. I'm taking things I did six months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago. I'm using like Twitter advanced search. I'm literally looking for my handle, minimum 100 likes. And then I'm just going through and keeping tabs of, okay, yesterday I did this one. Today I'm going to do this one. I do long form three times a week newsletters. I'm just repurposing the best snippets. And because now that the followings are fairly large, I'm getting feedback on like what people like and what people want and what questions that they have, that everything then just becomes, okay, Here's the answer to this question that I'm emailing you. I'm just going to go post that on social too. If you have that question, probably other people that do too. So long-winded, three times a day on Twitter and LinkedIn, once a day on Instagram, a couple times a week on YouTube, three times a week on uh, the newsletter, and just repurposing blogs, content, interviews, et cetera, you know, as much as possible. To me, it's, it's something that people need to understand first is you have to have one core channel that you know how to really create and understand 
So you started on Twitter, then you went on to LinkedIn, and now you feel comfortable at both of them so you can kind of win on both of them. I, I believe contextualization is important for the platform, but it doesn't mean new. It can still be the same repurposed. For instance, I, I went through this to just repurpose a little bit of a hot take I did on Twitter, but then provided much more context because I know on LinkedIn, the context is important. Don't need necessarily need to have as much context on Twitter because what's going to get people going is actually the more vague it is, the better. It's going to create the conversation. It's going to create the discussion. It's going to create the argument. And so when I look at this, you need to know your medium. Like Josh, you make incredible video content. You are really good at the the long form going live. That is probably the hardest thing. And I know Chase, you, you agree with me on this one. That's the hardest thing to do at any sort of consistency or scale. And when you're able to repurpose that into other pieces of content, to huge W, I, anything, you could do more written and more shorter that it'd probably take less time of yours because you're already spending so much time on this long form stuff. Uh, another question. Sorry, I'm going to just hoard all the questions, Shaq. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I one see this guy that, every day, unfortunately. Yeah, I love it. Uh, one question that I'm sure a lot of people are kind of curious about is some like some of the best tools that you're utilizing currently to create your content. I know uh, for us, like for example, like I use Hype Fury for posting a lot of like 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 my Twitter and LinkedIn uh, content. Are there any tools that you're utilizing to either make content creation easier? or make distribution a little bit easier? Yes and no. The stack is pretty lean, to be honest. A lot of it is Twitter advanced search, which is free. Uh, that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, where literally all I do is I'll type in uh, my my own handle if I want to find my own content, or if I want to find, let's say, content on email marketing or copywriting, I'll just put that keyword, and then I'll sort it by like. So Twitter advanced search is hugely underrated. I don't think most people have even know that they have it or have ever used it. From time to time, I'll use things like Tweet Hunter more just on like the research type of thing where if like I'm doing a specific type of post like that you know, DM for this or DM for that type of thing I'll use like a, a something called Tweet Hunter but I actually don't schedule any posts it's kind of weird and it's kind of counterintuitive but like every day it's just like whenever I have like this gut feeling based off like monitoring the feeds of like when people are getting good engagement or when it's convenient for me or when I have an idea or why I want to purpose something it's more of like this gut feeling where like you know people always ask me like you know I want to make sure I see your post when do you post it's like I post between 8 and 11 a.m. PST. I post between 12 and 2 p.m. PST. And I post sometimes between 3 to 6. So I more have like ranges. And I'm more focused on like getting two or three posts out per day versus like every day it has to get this. Um, I actually don't even pay attention to like when posts get the most engagement. I just pay attention to when I have 10 or 15 minutes free to create the content, curate the content, and then engage with the content. So the really the, the, the two tools I, I use is like Twitter advanced search and then occasionally Tweet Hunter. And I guess the third would be I use sometimes like you know, ChatGPT. Like I'll use that for hooks or you know to review, making sure there's no grammar mistakes. I'll use things like that. I would add in, I would add in, uh, typefully because what we what I use for um, Twitter and then Tweemex, which is obviously a, it's a product from uh, Tweet Hunter, and then I'm about to sign up for. Taplio actually is to give me a little bit more information and a little bit more structure around LinkedIn. Actually, on that note, I do use Taplio's free tool. They have it's like Taplio backslash carousel. And what I essentially do there is I'll take my Twitter threads that I post. So I post Twitter threads uh, once a week on Mondays. Um, those correspond with my newsletter. I'll take that link to that URL. I'll go to Taplio backslash carousel, and then I will basically unplug that, and that will give me like a PDF version of my tweet thread. 
that way I can go post it on LinkedIn. Before I was just making them manually in Canva, but, but that took too long. So Taplio backslash carousel, whatever it is, helps me take my threads and turn them into PDFs for uh, LinkedIn. I forgot about that one. I found it. Yeah. Taplio.com forward slash carousel. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, dude. That is huge. Actually, I'm going to use this. Thank you so much. Josh, did you think that when Chase is doing this stuff, and actually I'll put this, I'll put this too to voice, the earlier group for people that are looking to try and build pipeline, or the, the people that are looking to try and build interest around thought leadership in the thing that they do best, email, creative, copy, what have you, where do you think a lot of people kind of get wrong where they're like, they just jump into like pitching their services all the time. That's where I feel like people kind of don't provide actual real good content or value to where no one's actually even going to follow it. We talk about this a lot when we work with, with the agencies that we work with. Uh, we, we, we call it market leader positioning. And it's like, how does the outside world specifically look at you? And so if they're going to get a cold outreach from you, if they go and they look at your stuff because they might have some interest in it, what does it look like? And so for me, you know, one of the classic things is like, you know, hey, we don't need we don't need a website to run an agency. I think I, I posted a, a tweet some time ago, a Twitter poll on do you need a website? Right? It, was, it got a ton of votes on it. And it was like very split down the middle. Yes or no. But for me, like your Twitter profile, your LinkedIn profile, your website, this is all your online resume. So if you're sending things like cold outbound and you're just getting started in the agency space, well, if that's the only thing that they're seeing from you and you have 34 followers on LinkedIn and you have, you know, 18 followers on Twitter, it's like you just don't really have that positioning to say, hey, we're established in this industry and everyone starts somewhere. But that's the point of you starting to post content frequently. It's the point of you following people that are in the industry, people that are, you know, thought leaders in the industry and starting to engage with those types of people is that it creates this market leader positioning around you that you know what you're talking about and you know that the results that you can deliver for that client are actually true, as well as your ability to once again communicate with people that you're trying to land as clients. Like that's why we post content on a regular cadence. And I look at all the large agency owners in this space, you know, Chase, Shaq, Eddie, you know, all of us are posting content on a regular cadence. And there's a lot of trust that's built through posting content on a regular cadence. It's, you know, it's your warmest leads possible when someone comes to you and they say, I've been watching your stuff for six months now. I've been listening to your podcast. I've been watching your content and I've been consuming it. And it's actually been really helpful, but we need this off of our plate. Now, can you help us? Okay. Now they're coming to you from a very warm position and that sales easy. Whereas in a cold outbound, you know, we, we do recommend cold outbounds when you're first getting started because you got to start somewhere. But eventually it would be nice to have a pipeline of people that are like, yeah, like I've been watching you for a while. Like I just had a conversation with someone today. Like, yeah, I've been watching you for a while. And it's like the easiest deals that you'll ever close because they're hot and they're warm in your pipeline. And, you know, those deals tend to land a little bit faster. So Chase, with your focus of how much content you're creating. So right when you, right when you, when you kind of merged, it was separately, it was basically two still separate offers, separate teams that weren't really fully integrated. Then you had baby Shay, and then you're like, wow, full of dad mode. Do you, do you, you have the ability to share a little bit for those, maybe new fathers out there that are just kind of jumping into the space, maybe, maybe just going through some transition or that they, they don't have the ability to just a hundred percent be focused on the agency and only you have to kind of focus on one segment. Was there something that you can kind of go back and re- remember what got you through and what, what, what made you fo- stay focused knowing that you built something, you just had a, a nice little exit. Now you have ownership in a bigger ship that is structured as a whole now. Do you remember that time? Yes and no. I just going through this again. So I'm kind of 
remember like these most recent ones. Um, I think there's a couple things like, I think for one kind of going back to what I mentioned before, like if you can have your job focus on like your strengths and not have to focus on your weaknesses, it allows you to really stay like laser focused on like one or two primary things. Otherwise, like, man, if I had to do all the ops and everything when I had my daughter, there's just, there's just no way, like there'd be way too many balls that get dropped because you're just way too many things to remember. So I think like if you have the luxury of having partners or a good team or can hire someone, like hire for the things that like either take you the longest, uh, the things that you don't enjoy, um, maybe the things that you don't want to do, right? Like hire for those things because like if you could just focus on the things that you want to do, those things give you energy and like you're always going to be marinating on those things. Like so when I had my daughter, I took a little bit of time off, but content was always in my head and leads and these things that I just love and care about. I'm always thinking about these things. And while, while I have my daughter, my posting schedule is maybe a little bit different. I was posting at a different time. I'd be at like 4 a.m. and I'd be posting. Like, no one's going to see this. It's like 4 a.m. Everyone's asleep. I probably should be too, but I'm posting it, right? But just constantly training that muscle for whatever it is that you want to do and whatever you should be doing is so important. Like when I think about content, you have to commit to it for like three to six months to really build this muscle, understand what works, understand your process, understand just like the whole thing that goes into it. And then over time, it just becomes second nature. Like while you're doing other things, in the back of your mind, you're thinking about like, what's that next post going to be? And you're just taking inspiration from so many places. So I think I just started leaning into being a dad and kind of trying to incorporate that into some of the content through actually next some of your advice and whatnot. Um, and it just gives you new perspective and new audience and just new people. So I guess like long-winded, the advice would be to like try to be hyper present in the things you're going to be with your family and your business. And when you're there, you know, really focus on being efficient. I think I went from working really, really hard in like my early to mid twenties. And, you know, I'm now 30 in my later twenties, now 30. I really focused on like maximizing time and focusing on high leverage things and minimizing calls and busy work. I think that's a super important to understand is, but you're, as you're starting out, you don't have a choice. You have to do it all. I love partnerships. I love doing things with other people. Chase, you've been in partnerships. You've done things on your on your own. Where do you land now? I know what you want to say, but I want to challenge it. Do you understand and would you ever do a partnership again? Depending on the size, I don't want to steer you in a direction, but I really want you to flesh this out. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like early in your career, um, as you're getting going, like partnerships are amazing. They're great getting people that are bought in, getting people that want to hustle and grind with you and have different perspectives, I think is so important. I think as you get to a point of like, okay, you're comfortable, you've kind of figured it out. I think partnerships still are definitely beneficial, but I think you're less dependent on them. So I think I'm at a point right now and, and partnerships mean to me a lot of different things. It means, uh, you know, partnering with people on a specific instance, maybe not a business, but like, let's say it's an event or it's like a newsletter collab or a social collab. It could be as large as, hey, let's go start a business together. In most cases, I'm trying to do and own things more by myself and either be like a one-man band or, you know, you know, partner up with other people on kind of, you know, a contract kind of freelance basis. Um, just because it's it's easier for me to do the things that I want to do and I can go at my speed and I can only blame myself if it fails versus someone else. Um, so, so I don't know. It's been like this interesting journey where in yeah. most businesses I have right now, I do have one or more partners. And in most businesses I'm planning on doing or most things I'm planning to do in the future, I'll probably have one or fewer partners. So I, I am definitely open. I just don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. I think I've had that both good and bad in, in the past. 
I think it's structured. Having a lot of cooks in the kitchen has actually been great because people pull their weight and do a lot of great things. And in other partnerships, you know, it, it hasn't. So to, to kind of round this out, I get asked to do a lot of podcasts, a lot of events, a lot of these things that aren't mine. And nine out of 10 times, unfortunately, I'm just saying no, because I would rather, you know, own the distribution. I'd rather own the content. If I'm going to do it, I'd rather it be for my own platform at this point versus someone else's. So that's kind of where I'm at now is like, depending on the type of partnership you're discussing, it's either, hey, thanks, but no thanks, or sure, let's let's consider this. Let's kind of ease into it. Josh, I know you have a good amount of people that you go back and forth with. You see a good amount of uh, agencies. Are they coming in partnerships? Are they looking for partnerships? Are they staying solo? It's lonely at the start, dude. That's why I think partnerships are so good at, at the beginning. And then you kind of fall into your groove. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think as you continue to grow, I, I, like Chase said, your first business, I think it's great to have a partner specifically in that that can run side by side with you, share a little equity, a little sweat equity as well. But as you continue to grow, as you uh, as you start to build more wealth for yourself as an individual and you go into that second and third business, you can buy a lot of those positions and you don't necessarily need to give up equity to fill that position or fill that hole that, you know, unfortunately when you first get started, it's like, you know, we all started broken zero capital. So we're like, yeah, like, hey, let's sell them on the dream. Let's just bring this partner on and, and you know, we'll go to the moon together. Right. So like at that point, you're just selling on the dream. But, you know, if you, if you do have the capital available, you know, there's no reason to necessarily give up equity, uh, even though it is a, a great buy in tool uh, if you want to get people very bought in. Yeah. And on that note, it got me thinking like, I think it also depends on the business. Like most of the business I'm trying to do right now, like there's not really a need for a partner. Like if I'm doing things like courses or potentially events or potentially, you know, like a growth service, right? Like I don't really need more than like myself and maybe like a VA or, or like an ops person potentially, right? So I'm also realizing too that like you can do so much more with less now with some of this AI stuff going out and just some of the things that we've learned and processes and, and people. Like you can just do way more with, with less now. Like I actually did an interview with the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago and like they, they had some some ridiculous quote. They're like, Chase Diamond, the man doing the work of five men. I'm like, okay, let's not print this. Like this shouldn't go to print, but like, like just talking about how like you could be so efficient with systems and processes now. And Nick, I know you probably have something to say. I don't know if you had like a light bulb or if you had a agreement or a counterpoint, but yeah, I didn't think you could be way more efficient now with some of the, the resources available. Okay. I got to dig into this because I, I've been thinking about it and I had a podcast yesterday with Raba and Ashman. I've been posting, I've been really stirring this up um, on any channel I can because it's it's something that we really need to understand this like the creative services i'm not i'm not like big oh go ai i, I use ai tools the least the least out of anybody i know i use it the least i'm beginning to get better at it. i'm beginning to start stringing things again i'm beginning to see how it could be important for other brands i'm also starting to see a lot of roles of ai integrator what does this mean there's legitimate job offerings that major corporations that other major industries other major agencies that we follow that are saying like, I want a person that can kind of come into all of my processes, kind of like when a, a traditional COO or coup would do, Josh, come in and see where can I put AI to make it more efficient and better? Bro, is this crazy. is this too soon? Is this, is this, are we right on time? What is your take on this? I think we're, I think we're early to right on time. I mean, dude, if you think about like, so say for example, in a parallel industry, you have Salesforce, right? Think about how many hundred, two thousands of companies that are making millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, maybe even more being like Salesforce influencers, right? Salesforce is such a massive thing now as part of your stack that like there are companies out there, massive companies that are selling six, seven, eight figure packages, helping you implement your Salesforce, right? That same thing is going to happen with AI. It's like, 
how do the systems that we use already or how do new systems play in and make everyone more efficient right so i i think like we are on the cusp of it but i don't think it's too early like i think we're we're seeing the early wave of it but it's only going to accelerate over the next three to six months like dude this is such a massive offering right now where like if you can become the person that can prove this out like i have for example a guy that i'm doing some work with that does this at ClickUp. he's helping them implement ai the whole organization and like dude some of the results that they're seeing is like they're becoming like 6x 7x way more productive and spending like you know a half the amount of time right so it, it is is absolutely wild some of the things that i'm hearing a lot of it's okay and it does like like i haven't seen it firsthand i'm just hearing people tell me about it but i think i i think it's true i, I believe it so i'll leave you both with these questions this is a very important question i want to ask you you're a service you're an agency you have a price point three thousand five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand one of your angles is we leverage ai to deliver a better service quicker service more accurate service do you lower your price because you leverage AI and you're saving a bunch of time? Or do you charge more because now you're leveraging tech and AI to save and then manage and do you have your time better? My, my quick thoughts, and Josh, I'll let you round this out, is like my quick thoughts are you keep price or you potentially lower price and take on more business, right? Uh, I don't think you increase the price because you're AI focused. I think that to me seems a little bit counterintuitive potentially. It also depends on like, are you disclosing to people that you're AI focused? Because like when I'm doing AI things, everything right now is around like per- my personal brand. So like, I don't really care. Like I'm not really reporting to anyone and it's just helping me. I don't know though, like at our agency, like I don't know how I would feel about telling clients that we're using AI. I don't, to my knowledge, I don't think we're using a whole lot of AI. We're using like fireflies and note takers, but I don't think like we're using AI for design or copy to my knowledge. Um, I don't know how I'd feel about like disclosing that. I think in the future you probably have to, I don't know how I'd feel about disclosing that. I feel like that potentially would lead to them be like, ah, I don't know if I want to work with you, or maybe we should be paying less for this because you're not really doing as much human work. So I don't know. I'm kind of in the camp of like, you probably could charge the same or probably slightly less, but you could take on more work and then make more money. What do you guys think? I'm kind of in the same camp. Um, I think it also depends on the results you're able to deliver. If somehow the results increase, then I think it gives you that platform to stand on to increase pricing. But Right off the bat, if it was something that was going to be like a selling proposition of working with me, like, hey, we're going to utilize AI. Um, I don't know if the prices would change or, you know, potentially even even lower uh, if we're especially testing it out. Um, but I don't think it really dictates, you know, a price increase until you could say, hey, while utilizing AI, we notice a 20% increase in X result. Uh, then we could potentially see that. But you'd have to see some case studies. You'd have to have some results to back why you would charge a higher higher retainer for that service. Yeah. Nick, you asked the question, but you have an answer? I do, yeah. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I do want the listeners, anybody that's listening to this that, that has an opinion on how you're leveraging AI for your agency or to make your team more efficient, we'd love to have you on the pod if you have something uh, worth sharing to help all the other agency owners. I think it's there's a lot of tools that are in the, the digital, the efficiency, the reporting space I think are really important that are starting to start bubble up or be released on a day-to-day basis almost love to have you on there love to talk you through it and, and learn how you're doing it my opinion is this i don't think it needs to be disclosed that you're leveraging ai we don't disclose if we're using google sheets or excel or if we're using a certain web builder or if we're using an automations tool that's always been there for facebook or rules so i don't think it's something that we need to use or leverage it means, in my opinion, we should charge as much as we can or increase prices because they don't necessarily need to know. And I think it's a double-edged sword. 
saying you used AI, I think the, the to a general brand or general consumer, general person you're you're pitching, the only thing that this shows them is that you, the person I'm paying money to, isn't doing the thing that I'm paying you money for. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a positive thing. I don't think there's many people going to be like, oh, I really love that you're using AI. I think you're very forward thinking. I should pay you more. I don't think that's going to be the reaction you're going to get. I think if anything, you're going to get an inverse reaction where a lot of people are going to feel, well, why am I hiring you to do this then? Because I can do this. So I don't think I would yeah. even disclose. Yeah. The market just isn't knowledgeable enough yet, right? Like they see AI, I'm like, oh yeah, like I could plug that in and figure it out. Whereas in like, that's we, the reaction. We all know. Yeah. We all know that we have to prompt it with the correct, you know, with the correct uh, words and, and things beforehand. We know that the prompts are what you know, get the correct outputs, right? So, oh, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it, I think it is early on to like use it as a unique selling proposition. I think you're right, Shaq. I don't think many people would see it as something that is specifically going to help them out even more. It's like, it almost seems like we're being lazy, <laughs> you know, yeah. by using AI. I love it. Well, Chase, I, I'm going to get you back on here again, buddy. This went way too quick. I appreciate you. Where can, where can we all find you? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Chase, and then last name's Diamond without the A, it's D-I-M-O-N-D. And then on Twitter, ecom, Chase Diamond, No and Diamond. I appreciate you boys. This was great. Of course. As always, thank you very much. Nick Schoenfort, Joshua Johnson on the agency algorithm on the Triple Whale Network. Have a great day, guys.